Well, as we get started this morning, let me ask you something. Do you remember that first time? First, some of them, I'm looking, scanning the room, seeing how many people are still in high school. Not as many in this service. Uh, maybe a few, couple of you. But for those of you who aren't, and those of you who, have, who moved out on your own at some point from mom and dad's nest, do you remember that first place that you had on your own? Do you remember it? That first little apartment or whatever it was that you had that was just yours? Um, maybe for some of you it wasn't that long ago, and so you can kind of remember. And for some of you, I can see some, some gray hair in the room. That's going to be a stretch. But I want you to see if you can think back on it. Do you remember, do you remember what that apartment was like? Do you remember how empty it was? When you first moved into it, and you didn't have anything, right, for it? Yeah, you didn't have any furniture, you didn't have any forks, you didn't have a, a toilet plunger, and that was one of the things you really needed before, you know, you needed to have it before you needed it, right? Otherwise, it's kind of a mess. But um, you, I, I remember I went through that a couple of times in my life. I went through it when I moved out on my own for the first time, going into college, but then I did, went through it a second time in 1995 when I moved to Arizona to go in ministry. Because I didn't want to carry all that stuff out here. I just wanted to start over. I was in my mid-twenties, and so I sent a few boxes via UPS out here. And then I filled up the back of my little sports car, and that was it. So I basically started all over again. And I'll never forget when I first moved in that little house, when I was pastoring that church in Florence, Arizona. Um, I was living in this little house on Ruggles Street, and it was bare. I mean, it was empty. And I'll never forget when I got my first card table. I mean, it was a table for me. It was just a card table, but... Finally, I didn't have to eat on my lap anymore, and that was a big deal for me, you know. So that was—I'll never forget that little card table that I had, and I'll never forget the recliner, that first recliner that I had, because you know I was helping this uh, one person who was uh, living in a senior home, and unfortunately he died, and he—they had an estate sale, and I managed to get this lazy boy chair for like 15 bucks, and I still had that lazy boy chair to this day. My, my wife and I have some heated discussions about it every now and then. It's lost its place of prominence in the living room, it's in the bedroom, but no one's touching my lazy boy chair. I thought I was preparing this message and praying in it last night, you know, because God's spirit works in my little lazy boy. It's old as dirt, but it's a, it's a good, reliable chair. Uh, but I'll never forget getting that chair and how much that meant to me, you know? I remember when I was living in Florence, and I mean, I, that was a, if, you, if you've ever been through Florence, especially back in the 90s, it was a very poor town. And most of the people in that church that I was serving were very poor as well. And it was just ironic to me that people kept from that church kept coming over to my house to give me stuff, to give me hand-me-downs, because they felt sorry for me, because of how empty this little house was. So, I, one of the, so several of the things that they gave me, I still have. I still use the dinner dishes that they gave me like over nearly 25 years ago when they, they realized I didn't have any dishes to eat on. I, my wife and I still use those dishes even to this day. But the funny thing is, you, each one of us, we go through that season of our lives when we have nothing and we're starting. And that season with that empty house doesn't last very long, does it? Pretty quickly, we start finding ways to fill it. We start making our trips to Ikea and to Target, right? Some of you, you're going to date yourselves. It was like Montgomery Ward. What, what was that? Or Kmart. But anyway... There were these places that you would go and you Walmart and you'd buy these things and you'd start filling up your house, right? Getting the things you needed. Pretty soon, your room started to get full and then your closets started to get full as well, right? And then soon you're trying to find places to stick all the stuff that you're accumulating as the years go on. You start, your stuff starts spilling over into the garage and into the attic, right? And then you start... You start buying stuff to put stuff in, right? Storage bins and curio cabinets and you know, 
all this stuff, shelving to put all the stuff that you're accumulating. Then you come to a point where you can't find the stuff you're looking for anymore because of all the other stuff that's around. Fess up, you know it's true, right? And then you start, some of you, you even start renting storage units to store the extra stuff that won't fit into the house, right? I'm hearing an amen. I think some people are relating here to what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know your situation. I don't know how hard it is for you to let go of things. But here's one thing I bet I know about you. I bet you have more stuff today than you had one year ago, which is more stuff than you had five years ago, which is more stuff than you had ten years ago, right? For most of us, that would be true. That means you've got more stuff to keep fixed in the house than ever before, more stuff to keep clean than ever before, and more stuff to kind of sift to to find the stuff that you're actually looking for at any given point in time. The default in our lives isn't to have less, it's to have more. We have to actually work at having less. Because regardless of what other people think about our stuff, when we look at our stuff, that stuff is valuable, right? It's valuable at least to us. I say all that, track with me for a moment. See if this isn't true. I think we do the exact same thing with our faith. Most of us who would say today that we are followers of Christ or a Christian, maybe many of you in this room would say that today, you started off with a faith that was very simple. It was very basic. It was Jesus, right? You didn't know much about the Bible. You weren't too worried about it. You didn't know much about Christianity. You didn't feel like you needed to. Someone told you, you heard this message of grace, right? You heard that you can't do anything to earn God's favor, to make God love you anymore, to have a future secure with God. There's nothing you can do to earn any of those things. That God loves you and that God accepts you just as you are. And that message to you, if if you have heard that in the past and you became a Christian, that message was irresistible to you, right? It was attractive. But time goes on. And you learn more about what it means to be a Christian. And without really thinking about it, maybe your view of what it meant to be a Christian, well, it kind of changed. Maybe you start looking at others and judging for yourself if you thought they were a Christian or not. And it wasn't based on whether or not they said to you that they had accepted God's free love of, gift of love and grace. It was because of the way they looked, right? Or... Maybe it was the way they talked. And it's like, hmm, I don't think so. Or maybe it was that they believed something that didn't line up with the Bible. You know, the sad thing is, these days, more and more people are hearing those messages. Those extra things. The clutter, I would call it. Of what Christian people say you need to believe or do in order to be a Christian. The simple, irresistible message of Christ's love and grace is lost in the clutter of all the stuff we're accumulating. And it all seems like good stuff, valuable stuff, right? I mean, there are things to do. uh, There are certain things that are the right things to do. And hey, you do them, right? So you, you believe them. So why shouldn't they believe them too if they're going to call themselves a Christian. 
You know, at Easter, last Sunday at Easter, I was telling you about this new demographic in our country today that's kind of unheard of for us as a, as a nation. It's now been given a label, and that label is the nuns. Do you remember this from last Sunday? I was sharing with you this group of people. The reason they're called the nuns is because when surveys and polls and censuses are taken and the religious preference section is there, you know, it used to be there were all these different types of Christianity listed and maybe a few other religions or maybe atheists was thrown in there. Today there's agnostic thrown in there as well. But then there was this category that was added called none. And more and more often these days, none is the box that's checked. And it's not because people are, would say as they check that box that they are an atheist or even that they're an agnostic. It's not that they would say, well, I really believe in another religion. It's just that they don't have a preference. They just don't care. They hear what people think Christianity is all about and that what they're hearing Christianity is, it, it really isn't all that irresistible to them. They're like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. Christ's message I think today is getting lost uh, in thinking to be a Christian that you have to be all these other things as well, like anti-science, anti-gay, or that you have to believe and accept all the, the stories and the truths of the Bible. You, you can't question them. You just have to accept every bit of this by faith. Let me ask you. Let me, let me raise the back of the hairs on some of your necks. Can you be a Christian if you don't believe that Noah had an ark? Can, can you, what, what if you drink? If you down a six-pack a week, can you still be a Christian? What if it's a six-pack a day? What if, what if you believe in evolution or that same-sex relationships are okay? Can, can you be a Christian? What if, what if you're a liberal? Uh-oh. Now I'm really pushing some buttons, aren't I? Or what if you're a conservative? Can you be a Christian? Guys, I'm saying this because of this reason. It has been surprising to me over the years how many people I have heard have walked away from the Christian faith of their childhood. And when I find out why, the reasons they give aren't reasons that should have turned them away from the faith in the first place. They're not the real reasons that we have the faith that we have today. I've heard so many things about what you, you know, what the, all the add-ons, all the clutter, all the things that you have to believe or do. If you're, if you're going to be a Christian, well then, and then we start adding on our list. But listen to me this morning. That is not, that is not the message of Jesus. There's only one thing that it takes to be a Christian. There's one thing that's only one thing that's ever, ever anyone has ever had to believe in order to be a Christian, and that is the good news: acceptance and trust in Christ, in His gift of love and grace. It is Jesus plus nothing. And listen, when you add any little thing to the good news, it isn't good anymore. In other words, if you add any small expectation to someone who is considering Christianity, it might seem like the wise thing to do, but it isn't. The Apostle Paul talks to the Christians in a little province called Galatia 2,000 years ago, and he actually says to them, it is foolish to do so, to add anything. And he says, when you do so, he actually uses the words in one English translation that you're destroying God's grace when you do so. 
And you're making faith meaningless. So over the next few weeks, here's what I want to do. I want us to take a good look at this book, the book of Galatians that's in our Bibles. And I want us to consider all the ways that we even might unconsciously add to the good news and perhaps damage the ability for some people to accept Christ because of our clutter. I want you to know, guys, I want you to know what the good news is exactly without all the add-ons so that you can have a conversation with your child, with a coworker, with a friend, with your next-door neighbor, and you're not fumbling over words for what it is that you believe, where you feel like you need to apologize. You know, you, the simple message of Christianity, the simple message of God's love and grace, it's not complicated and it's not, it's not um, offensive to people. It is attractive. It is irresistible. And it always has been. What trips us up is when we add all the other stuff on and we're trying to explain all these other things. And that is not the message of Jesus. And if you're here today, and you might consider yourself as one of the nuns, one of those who kind of have decided that faith is not something that you're really interested in anymore, I want to encourage you through this series to come back and continue to listen and take a second look at faith, because maybe, just maybe, you made a decision unnecessarily to walk away from faith. Maybe some people told you some things that you needed to believe or say or do, and they weren't listed as optional. They were saying, well, if you're going to believe a Christian, then they added their list, and that list wasn't appealing to you, and you just decided to walk away. And I want to help you to see what Jesus actually said, what Paul risked his life for day after day after day. So let's go ahead and jump in. Let's turn to the book of Galatians. If you can find it in your Bibles... The book of Galatians is just after the Gospels and then Acts and then First and Second Corinthians. Um, while you're turning, you can also go to mygrace.church and click on the Messages tab and you can follow along, at least see the scripture that we're looking at this morning, the very first part. While you're turning there, let me give you a quick background to what we're looking at here. This Galatia, where this letter was written to, to the Galatians, Galatia was a Roman province during the time of Jesus, that is now located in what was is central Turkey uh, in Asia Minor. Paul and Barnabas had taken their very first missionary journey to this area called Galatia, and they, this is where they planted their first church. This is where Paul's work really kind of began. It took off. And he was there for a short period of time as he was planting this church. And then Paul and Barnabas left, and they went back to another place called Antioch. And get this, as they left... Some other Christians showed up, and they started trying to fix Paul. They started trying to fix his message. They started telling these people who had just accepted Christ, these people in Galatia, that, well, Paul really had a good heart, but he left some things out that you needed to know if you're going to really be a Christian. And they started adding on their Christian clutter. Let's look at the very beginning of this letter, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. This is how Paul starts the letter. He says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join in me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins 
just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is the opening to his letter, and it seems pretty nice, right? Seems pretty innocuous. A couple of things he's doing here. He's establishing himself in this letter right off the bat as an apostle. In other words, he's saying, no person has appointed me to be a minister of the gospel. Christ himself has appointed me. And if you look back to Acts chapter 9, you see that story. But he's kind of establishing his right to share what he's sharing, that he's right, and that the things that he's sharing is true. And then he kind of starts touching on the end of this passage. We just read what the good news actually is. And then... You know, it seems, this, as I said, this seems nice, but then Paul's tone changes a little bit. Look at verse 6. He, he doesn't waste a whole lot of time here. He says in verse 6, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. Hmm, do you think he has an opinion about this? You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, he says, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say it again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, he says, I'm not trying to win approval of people, (laughs) but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, what in the world were these people talking about to these Galatians after Paul left? What could possibly they have said to cause Paul to get so riled up that he says that this message that you're believing that you think is the good news isn't even good? Now, the reason Paul wrote this letter, which is, by the way, is the oldest, we believe, it, historical accounts believe this is the oldest writing in the New Testament. It actually even predates the Gospels. This was written you know, just after Paul had finished his first missionary journey, just after the resurrection of Christ, before the Gospels had even actually been recorded in completion. He's writing this letter to try to clear up this mess that he sees that is happening in this church so quickly after he left by Christian people who are trying to fix the good news. And Paul is saying, as we saw a little while ago on the screen, Paul says, you're destroying grace by what you're believing. And you're making it meaningless. These Christians were telling the Galatians this. They were saying, well, you know, if you're really Christians, then you need to act like we do. You ever heard that one before? They said, you need to eat like we do. You even need to look like we do. At least the guys needed to. I'll explain that in just a minute. After all, they would, these, these people who had come to Galatia would say, I mean, the Jewish scriptures explain to us what God wants from us. And God wants us to eat kosher. So I know you don't know what kosher is here in Galatia, but we're going to have to teach you. And you're going to need to eat kosher if you're going to be a Christian. And, oh, by the way, we know you're not Jews and you've never been a Jew, but you're going to need to follow the Jewish festivals that we followed all these years because God told us they're a good idea, so we think they're a good idea for you too. And then, guys, are you ready for this? These these people had told these Galatians that if, if you're a guy, well, you need to be circumcised. I am not kidding. This is what they told them. 
It's like, we've all done it, and you really should too if you're going to be a Christian. Paul goes after this, and he condemns this. As we start getting Galatians, some of the ways that Paul describes, it may sound a little bit extreme to you, the way he's speaking to them, but he is, hear this, he is trying to protect the life-changing message of Jesus that very early on is starting to get cluttered up by good Christian people. Today, you and I, we don't struggle about eating kosher, right? I, my guess is you didn't wake up and have breakfast this morning and you were really thinking, God, is this kosher or not? Is this bagel? I don't know. Right? You, it didn't even cross your mind, did it? You wouldn't know what kosher was if it hit you. My guess is you're about, if you're a guy here in the room, you haven't been too worried about being circumcised or not, if you haven't already, and worrying about if you've lost your salvation over it. You know, I really don't even want to know. I, don't, I have no interest. But at this time, that was a really big deal. Listen, we can do the exact same thing today with our views on sex, our views on getting drunk, or believing what the Bible says about creation or the global flood. And you might say, but Dave, but it's in the Bible. Yeah, it is. And I'm not saying these beliefs are wrong. Hear me. Until you say, well, you really need to do or believe that in order to be a Christian. And then everything changes. It's not about the free gift that God has given you that you don't deserve and you can't earn. It actually starts becoming about you at that point, doesn't it? About what you believe what you should do, what you, how you should behave, and how others who are following Jesus, what they should do and what they should think and what they should believe and what they should, right? The good news of the Christian faith declares that there is one, please, if you don't hear anything else today, please hear this. The good news of the Christian faith declares there is one factor determining our relationship with God, our future with God when this life is over, and it is Jesus' work for me, not my work for him. It is his performance for me. It's not my performance for him. It's all about him and what he has done. It has nothing, please hear me, it has nothing to do with us at all. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you one whit more or one bit less. So, it's good to say you know, to, to someone that, it's, that living a sexually immoral lifestyle isn't good for a Christian. But as soon as you say that you have to be sexually pure to be a Christian, Paul says you've destroyed grace. It's good to value human life and to be pro-life. It's good to believe that the Bible is God's word. And I do with all of my heart. But you tell someone who is, who is considering Christianity that you have to believe all this and you just have to accept it by faith and you're destroying grace for them. When you add any little thing to Christ's simple, clear message of the good news, that message isn't good anymore. Now, in a future message, which we'll be coming to in a few weeks in this series in Galatians 3, Paul actually goes a step farther. And he says, even after you become a follower of Christ, if you think that you need to do anything to be a good person and to be accepted by God, 
Even after you've accepted Christ, you know what he calls you? A fool. And you say, well, Dave, I know some of you, you're looking at me like, I can't believe he's saying these things. Maybe that's what you're thinking, I don't know. You might be thinking, Dave, well, does this just mean I can just live however I want? Well, funny you should ask that. Paul was actually asked the exact same question 2,000 years ago when he said this. Actually, no, that's not what I'm saying. And next week, I'm going to get into more detail as we start going into the last half of chapter 1. And I'm going to explain two very churchy terms that you've probably heard for years and didn't know really fully what they meant. But it's critical, critical to understanding what our faith is about. These two words are justification and sanctification. You can't, you can't miss next week as we describe those two things and understanding the important difference between the two of those. Paul explained that when you receive God's gift of love and grace into your life, that his, his God, Paul said God's spirit comes to live inside of us. And that spirit creates in us a longing and a desire to follow God's will for our lives. Not because we should, not because we have to, but because we want to. Our hearts for God starts to, to meld together, and we start to change from the inside out, and we start becoming a new person. And it's not like, well, I guess I need to give this, give this up or do this or believe that. Your heart naturally starts to change, and that's when you're seeing the beauty of Christ transforming there is no minimum expectation that God puts on you to be a Christian. We're like, God is watching you and he's keeping score. And he's like, oh, she did that? Uh, no, no, I'm not taking that. that. That's not a conversation God has with himself at any point. But this process that we walk through all of our lives is a process when after we have accepted Christ's gift of grace, God is working on us and in us to make us look more like Jesus. That is Christianity. And you know what? Since Christianity has existed, there have been Christians, good Christian people, cluttering up Christianity to add their spin to what they believe you need to believe or say or do in order to be a Christian. This belief that Paul was wrestling with here when he wrote Galatians, it didn't get resolved because he wrote Galatians. It kept going. These people kept going around from town to town trying to fix Paul and his teaching and saying that they needed to circumcise all their guys and eat kosher and follow these festivals. And finally, it kind of blew up in 50 AD when the, when the first church council was held in Jerusalem to clean up this mess. And they hashed it out and they went back to the simple message of Jesus and they affirmed Paul. And it was like, yes, it's Jesus plus nothing. But that didn't solve the problem for us as Christians a few years later, as an example, there was persecution going on throughout the church in the Mediterranean. And the Romans were killing Christians left and right. And there arose this theology a few years after Paul which said, if you accept Christ as your Savior, but you deny Christ when you're before the authorities, then you've lost grace and you're not acceptable to God anymore. And then, a few decades later, there was another heresy that started with a group called the Gnostic, Gnostic Christians. And they started saying, yeah, we, we know all these things that Paul taught us, all these things that Jesus taught us, that, that Paul affirmed, but there's actually some extra knowledge that you don't know about, but we know about it. And it's secret knowledge, 
And the only way you're going to find out what that secret knowledge is is if you join our club and we tell you, and then you can get into heaven. But if you don't know the secret knowledge, well, then you're not going to make it. That was actually taught a few decades after Paul. And then there came a time a couple of centuries after Paul where this teaching started that said, well, there is actually another way. I mean, yes, you can accept God's free will of love and grace, but you could actually be a good enough person. You could actually work really hard to be a holy, pure, you know, good person and follow all the laws. And, and God's grace isn't really necessary in your life. St. Augustine fought fiercely about, against this with his life. He saw the damage Jesus plus something was going to do. And by the Middle Ages... Let me tell you, by the Middle Ages, the leadership of the church was telling Christians that grace is important, but it's not all that you need. It's not enough. And they would say, you also need to confess your sins to the priests, and you need to do penance to God and, by the way, to the church for all the bad stuff you've done in order to really be accepted by God, or else there's going to be a problem there when you get to the pearly gates. And... It, you know, I, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, and today, many of them will tell you, that was a horrible time in our history when our eyes got off track. The simple message of Jesus. But through that, Martin Luther was one of the ones who stood up and he said, What are you kidding me? Do we need to go back to what Jesus said? Do we need to go back to what Paul said? It's Jesus plus nothing. And actually, the church split apart. At that time in history, and it's never been put back together again. We have Catholics and we have Protestants because of it. Because we got our eyes off the prize and we got it on the Christian clutter. And even today, guys, even today, Christians and non-Christians alike have lost sight of the prize of the good news that Jesus came to bring. You don't believe me? Ask people what it takes to be accepted by God and see what their answer is. And if they say anything other than accepting God's free gift of love and grace to them, then they need help decluttering their Christianity. A couple of weeks ago, right here in this room, I did a memorial service for a friend of mine. His name was Keith Long. I love Keith's story because Keith was raised in Christian circles as a kid. He, uh, he went to Christian school, went to Christian schools throughout his childhood. He, he was the grandson uh, of two preachers. He, he heard Christian stuff all of his childhood, but he wasn't really a follower of Jesus. No, it wasn't a message that was irresistible to him. It was a take it or leave it. Until he was on a plane ride to Bolivia one day when he was in his 40s, and he ran into two missionaries who were flying to Bolivia to start a church among an indigenous people group there. And he heard them share how passionate they were about the simple message of Jesus. And it compelled him when he got home from his trip to find a little Methodist church in Tucson, and there he heard the simple message of grace. The simple message of Jesus plus nothing. And it changed his life in his 40s. And he would say to people, even up till the day he died, that day changed everything for me. Years ago, uh, my wife wife and I met in a church in the late 90s. uh, It was a church in Mesa, Arizona that was pastored by by a guy at that time named Gary Kinnaman. 
He was a great pastor. He's retired these days, but he still has some impact in my, and influence in my life. We, I see him occasionally. But he was one of these people who, like Paul, he pounded this message throughout his entire ministry over and over again. He kept seeing situations, especially among Christians, where, we kept, where Christians kept cluttering up Christianity and adding stuff to it, and it drove him berserk. And he preached sermon series after sermon series about it. And he actually even wrote two books on it that were published. One was called um, Honey, I Shrunk Jesus, which is our way of diminishing Christ. It was a, his commentary on Galatians. And another one he wrote called Dumb Things That Christians Believe and How We Destroy Grace. And here's one of the things that he said in Honey, I Shrunk Jesus, which I thought was really profound. He said this. He said, we need another reformation. Christians need to return to their roots in the writings of the Apostle Paul, especially his letter to the Galatians. In it, he declares with angry passion that our eternal relationship with God comes to us through the perfect, finished work of Christ and not even slightly through any effort on our part. And then he says this. He says, the gospel is ridiculously simple and crazy amazing. Jesus plus nothing changes everything. Jesus plus something makes Jesus' perfect work less than everything. And then he used to say this in messages all the time. I loved it. He kept saying, religion says do. Grace says done. Because Jesus said, it is finished. Maybe you're here today. And you have struggled with faith. You've had doubts. You've had questions. Because perhaps there was some well-meaning person in your life at some point who gave you their clutter. Who told you that you needed to believe in the simple message of Jesus. But you also, if you're going to be a Christian, then you really have to believe in this or do this or behave this way. And it wasn't something that was like, well, this is something that will naturally be something you'll want to do. But really, no, this is something you're going to have to do. And it cluttered up Christianity for you and it left you with questions. Maybe you're here today and my message in itself has given you some questions. And you want to explore that a little bit more. You've heard me share passionately about this for the last two weeks and I'm going to do it one more time. Um, this, this Wednesday night, we are actually launching Alpha at Roadrunner Coffee Shop. It'll be our first gathering. That first gathering, we're going to be talking about the question, who is Jesus, really? And we're just going to be having conversations around coffee tables around it. I would love, if you've never taken Alpha, to just join us and come with your questions, whatever hard questions you've had throughout your life, and let's just talk about them. And let's see if we can help declutter faith for you a little bit. Take a look at this clip. This old friend of mine, Helen. My best friend. My friend calling by me to try Alpha. Y recuerdo que mi papá me dijo, mira, hay comida gratis. They handed me a invitation. It was just a random invitation. And I said, like, why not? Why not? Let's try it. Why not? Let's go. I found like a like a really awesome community of people. They helped me find who I was just by listening. Alpha helped me in the knowing of God. Empecé a entender que el amor es de muchas maneras. I just knew. I was a different person from that moment on. I knew I had purpose. I, I felt really comfortable and like starting to invite my friends. 
I've seen Arthur really impact people that I work with. I would definitely encourage people to get involved. It's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. It all turned out to be life-changing. Christ's message is about the simplest message you could possibly imagine. It's that God has always loved you, and his grace is enough. There is nothing that you need to do to earn God's favor. Don't ever let someone tell you that you've got to do something in order to be in God's graces. God says, I love you too much for you to think that you've got to earn your way to me. If you have those kinds of questions, I'd encourage you, come to Alpha. Maybe you have a friend that has been struggling, and you've, you've, they've thrown some of these questions at you, and you're like, I don't know. Call them this week and say, I want to take you out to coffee Wednesday night. I want to, I want to, let's talk about some of those questions with some others. I'm going to bring my own. We'll serve you dinner. It'll be on us. We'd love to have you there. Christ gave us, as he ascended into heaven, a great commission. He said, what I want you to do more than anything else is to go. To share with the world how much I love them. How my grace is enough. We are compelled as followers of Jesus to share that message because it's the only message that really matters in the end. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this chance today for us to launch into Galatians. And I look forward to unpacking more and more of this amazing book with those at Grace and those listening online for the next few weeks. Lord, I pray for those who have struggled with these messages that they have heard throughout their lives of all the things they need to believe or say or do. And some, for some of us, those, those things aren't really a problem for us. But for some of us, it's just tripped us up. It's held us back. It's, it's kept us from seeing Jesus as irresistible. God, I pray that you would help us to get rid of that clutter and to see you for who you truly are. If you're here today and you find yourself in a place where you've never responded to Jesus' simple, clear message of love and grace, I just want to ask you, What's keeping you from it? What's holding you back today from saying yes to a God who is crazy in love with you and always has been? If that's you today, I would encourage you to just pray this prayer with, with me in the silence of your heart even now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing me here today to hear the simple, clear message of your love and your grace. Lord, I have thought that Christianity was so much more than that. That it was this long list of what everyone has told me I needed to believe and do and behave. I needed to behave a certain way. And God, I, it just hasn't been all that interesting to me. But Lord, knowing that you love me, knowing that I don't have to earn your favor, that's appealing. And if that's all this is about, then God, I'm in. So Lord, I ask that you would come into my heart. Even now, as Pastor Dave has described, I ask that you would forgive me, Lord, of my sins, all those things that I have perhaps done in my life that's disappointed you, that's broken your heart. Lord, I just ask that you would, as, as Pastor Dave always says in the Bible, that says that you put those sins as far away as the east is from the west and that you remember them no more. God, I thank you that you can choose to forget all that mess that I've done 
in my past. That you love me so much that you would choose to do that. God, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, even right now. And that you would begin to change me. To not give me a list of all the shoulds. But to help me to see how my love relationship with you can change everything for me. And for those around me. Lord, I, that, that I want. And that I gladly accept today. In Jesus' name. Amen.